Amen. Verse 16, just to kind of give it some context, chapter 1 of Romans. Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And you remember two weeks ago in our study through Romans, there were three things that we looked at. Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel because it's the gospel of God, it is the power of God, and it is the salvation of God. For in this gospel belonging to God lies the power and the salvation and the righteousness of God. But not only that, verse 17, our new verse for this morning, it says, for in it, that is the gospel of Christ, for in it The righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Now this morning, if you're taking notes or mental notes or just kind of want to compartmentalize this verse, there are two points that we're going to be looking at this morning. Each point is going to begin with the righteousness of God. So point number one is the righteousness of God and then uh, subtitled it parenthetically, apart from the receiver. The righteousness of God apart from the receiver. Now, this is the first time the word righteousness actually appears in the book of Romans. This word for righteousness in the Greek is pronounced dekeosune. Dekeosune. And this word's used several times in the New Testament, describing the righteousness of God. And as we look at maybe one of those this morning, it's used to describe this word, the character of God, by which he always does what is right, what is just, what is proper, and what is consistent with all his other attributes. When we say that God is righteous, or we talk about the righteousness of God, we are saying, we are meaning that there is no wrong dishonesty or unfairness in him so for in the gospel of christ the dekeosune of god is revealed it doesn't say that in the gospel of christ the righteousness of man's intrinsic goodness is revealed it doesn't say that the gospel of christ reveals a plan for man to earn his way to heaven which would by default showcase man's righteousness. It doesn't say that it's talking about man's plan or man's goodness. It does say, however, that it reveals God's righteousness. Now, in studying this myself personally, and for you to be aware of what happens behind the scenes, when I study for a message, it's like God speaks to me, and I get what I receive out of it. And then I hope to give you a couple of the crumbs of what I've received from the Lord in order to teach this properly for you to maybe be uh, uh, educated somewhat in it or to be excited about exploring this topic further. But right off the bat, I need to tell you, and we need to understand that God's righteousness and man's righteousness are entirely different things. They're on two separate tracks. Man's righteousness and God's righteousness are running on two different paths. We need to understand this. A commentator by the name of Donald Barnhouse, who quite frankly was a genius, uh, some 60 studies in advance was prepared. I mean, the guy wrote numerous volumes of commentaries, but he said this, and I quote, 
And this is what he's saying in regards to man's righteousness and God's righteousness. He says, they are different in genus and species. And they are different in source, aim, scope, and quality. End of quote. God's righteousness, man's righteousness, completely separate. So think about that as we go into our study this morning. Because some people, and I unfortunately have to say, most people think of righteousness as different degrees of temperatures, like hot and cold. Like, I don't know if you played that game when you were a kid and you had to point out something and you're like, hey, you're hot, 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 hot. Oh, cold, 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 cold. You're freezing, sub-zero, and they get closer. Burning, burning, you're on fire, you're boiling, man. They are so, so close. Mistakenly, the world thinks that God's righteousness and man's righteousness are just two different degrees of temperature, or uh, we could even say two different percentages of the same righteousness, as if God was at 100% and you were at 50%, and you need to kind of top that up a little bit. That's not the case. Oh, the convict, oh, they're at 30%. You know, the average person's at 50% righteous. You know, their righteousness level's at 50% or so. The good person, 75%. And the moral, ethical leader, oh man, they're at 95% righteousness to God's 100. This is why we think that if we reach a certain percentage of righteousness, we will obtain heaven in our own efforts. Hence me asking the question this morning, how do most people in the world today think that you get to heaven? I can preface it and you can finish it by being a common knowledge. If my righteousness is topped up enough, then that gets me into heaven, which actually is completely refuted by the Bible. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, it says, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to God's mercy, He saved us. Ephesians 2, 8 through 9, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, and not of works, lest anyone should boast. So God's righteousness and man's righteousness, not only are they on different tracks, they're in different galaxies. Like I fail to come up with some sort of analogy or metaphor that can describe how far away and how different Man's righteousness is from God's righteousness. In Isaiah 64, verse 6, it says, For we are all like an unclean thing, and all our righteousnesses are like filthy rags. We need to understand that in our whole mind frame of thinking how I get to heaven and how I'm pleasing to God, that that is your righteousness. That is your good works. And it is nothing, it has nothing to do with God's righteousness. They're completely different. When the text says that we're looking at this morning, Romans 1.17, that God's righteousness is revealed through His gospel, let's ask the question, what exactly does that mean? Well, it means that God requires of us something that we can never come up with ourselves. Why would God require of me something that I am incapable of providing? Well, let me ask you this question rhetorically. How unrighteous would it be for God to set a condition for entrance into heaven that could only be met by a small percentage of people? 
How unrighteous would it be for God to set a condition that could only be met by a small percentage of people? Let me explain. What if God demanded a certain level of education for you to get into heaven? It would be unjust to the uneducated. What if God demanded a certain social status? Well, then it would be unjust to the unpopular. What if God demanded a certain amount of wealth? Well, that would be unjust to those that are poor. If God demanded a certain moral righteousness, it would be unjust to those who were raised in depraved homes. It would just not be fair. It would be unjust. How can a righteous God set something forth that is not just? Exactly. God isn't unfair and His standards are far different than man's standards. The very nature of who God is demands that He require the impossible of us. You might wonder how so. Because of God's righteous nature and our sinful nature, both parties are mutually exclusive. God cannot look upon sin. He is so pure and He is so holy that He will have nothing to do with sin. And because we are so sinful and unholy and we make mistakes and we do things that are wrong by nature because we're born with a sinful nature, we are disconnected from God. A perfect and holy and righteous God. We're on two separate paths. God's righteousness, man's righteousness. They do not connect and they don't ever meet. God's nature and our nature are on divergent paths. And the only way that our sinful nature will ever connect with God's nature and perfect righteousness is through faith in Jesus Christ. The bridge between two divergent paths is Jesus. So our world says be a good enough person, but you could be 100% full of your own righteousness and have a zero percentage in God's column. And you lose. That which God demands is impossible for us and no man can fulfill the requirements of God. But as discouraging and as depressing as that may sound, it's at that point that God intervenes. It's at that point that God intervenes and provides the free gift of God's salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. As it says in Romans 6.23, the wages of sin is death, but the free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And so every person must see that he falls into the category of imperfection. And if any of you were to raise your hand this morning and say, I'm not imperfect, you're just lying in church on top of it. We know that we're not perfect. But yet we have this thing built inside of us where I got to earn my way. I got to be good enough. And then you blow it and then you're depressed and discouraged. And then you're in sin and you're thinking, what in the world? This is hopeless. And we have even so many people outside these four walls of the church that are hopeless. And they tried the whole Jesus thing or church thing or tried to clean their life up and they found that it's absolutely impossible for them to do. And the Bible tells us all have sinned. Romans 3.23, all have sinned, myself included. We have all sinned and we have all fallen short of the glory of God. Unfortunately, though, most people in the world spend their, tr- <laughs> they spend their time trying to increase their percentage of their righteousness. And thus, at the same time, are not realizing 
that they're failing to grab a hold of God's righteousness, which is completely different from their own, the righteousness of God through the gospel. So remember how I kind of gave you the breakdown? Oh, the convicts at 30%. Lord, I just need you for 70%. Lord, I got 30. I need you for 70. You know, the the average person who's at 50% of their own righteousness, Lord, I just need you for another 50%. And then there's a 75%er. You know, Lord, I'm a good person and I just need you for 25%. And then there's the 95%. Remember the moral, ethical leader? You know, Lord, I just need you to kind of get me over the hump for that last 5% for me to reach that 100 percentile. You're 30, or you're 50, or you're 75, or you're 95 of your own righteousness is 0% of God's righteousness. I hope that you're absolutely getting your world rocked by the end of this study this morning, because it absolutely has changed me. Your righteousness, our righteousness, doesn't matter how high it is, is 0% in God's economy. You have a zero. You can't earn it. You can't even acquire it. You can't transfer it over there. It's completely different. And so this morning, as we're saying, as we're looking at verse 17, where it says, God's righteousness is revealed. It's God's righteousness is totally different from our righteousness and is made only available through Jesus Christ. I mean, if you're honest and you look at history, no man has ever even lived up to the standards of human righteousness, let alone divine righteousness. God's righteousness, remember, apart from the receiver, that was point number one. God's righteousness and the hopeful receiver of that righteousness are naturally apart from one another. It's separate. You and me, God. Our righteousness, God's righteousness, different. They're not on the same scale. They do not have the same percentages. You know, for the good person, you know, I'm a good person syndrome. You know, like, hey, I'm a good person. I'm better than that person. And they, you know, my good deeds outweigh my bad deeds. You know, oh man, I really threw a brick on my bad deed column. Now I better do some more good deeds to compensate. That, that is completely irrelevant. It's actually thrown completely out the window. Because of God's nature, he cannot look upon sin. And because of our nature, we cannot have a relationship with God. And this brings up an interesting question concerning God's righteousness. How can God, how can God be able to pardon sinners and still remain righteous? How can you let somebody off the hook for doing something that's wrong and still remain righteous? And the answer to that question (laughs) is how the righteousness of God is revealed through the gospel, which leads us to point number two. Again, recap. The righteousness of God, point number one, subtitled parenthetically, apart from the receiver it's completely separate point number two is the righteousness of god subtitled parenthetically applied to the believer so we have apart from the receiver it's completely separate but then we answer the question is how can god remain just and righteous when he's forgiving people that have done things that are wrong because if you're just and righteous the penalty must be paid it must be paid 
For in it, verse 17, the righteousness, for in it, which is the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Which is actually quoting the minor prophetic book of Habakkuk, chapter 2, verse 4, where it says, Behold the proud, his soul is not upright in him, but the just shall live by his faith. The person that is proud has a soul that is unrighteous in him. So the person that is believing that he is earning his way to heaven or is good enough in his own efforts to get into heaven is actually displaying for all to see that he is unrighteous. Talk about a paradigm shift. The person that is self-righteous is actually displaying that he is unrighteous. The person thinking that they are good enough or earning it or have to earn it or it's their own effort, their own ingenuity, their own perseverance, their own whatever, they're actually displaying that they are unrighteous before God. And this is what completely baffled the people of Jesus' day when he said this in Matthew 5.20. He said, unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. The people's eyes had to have bugged out when Jesus said this. Because the scribes and the Pharisees were considered the most religious, the most righteous. Because they kept all the rules and regulations. They did everything according to the law. But those that were seen as the most righteous were in fact unrighteous before God. The scribes and the Pharisees who believed themselves to be righteous because of their their ceremonies and their rituals, were really the furthest thing away. They were really the furthest thing away from being righteous before the Lord. In Galatians 6.3, it says, For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Deceives himself. Works-based. That's the every world religion, works-based. What that means is that you have to work your way and earn your way to get into heaven. Buddhism, Islam, uh, Islam, Hinduism, you name it. And then even some people in Judeo-Christian circles too as well will feel that, man, I gotta be good enough. Or churches place pressure on people, like performance pressure kind of stuff where, you know, you have to earn your way. You know, you have Mormons, you have to go on missions, you know, for, you know, two years or whatever. And you got these people have to do this. And you have these people over here, you need to say these things. And then if you do all these things, maybe you'll be good enough. And we talked about this at the improv on Monday night, that world religions don't give you any assurance of salvation until after you're dead. And it's because that's when you find out if you're good enough. You find out if you're good enough after you're dead. And then you have to ask yourself if you're even somewhat in tune to reality. It's like, isn't that a little bit too late to find out if I'm good enough to get into heaven after I'm dead? God's righteousness, our righteousness. Remember, two separate tracks. Two separate righteousnesses, if you will. God's and man's. And it doesn't matter how much you are filled up with your own righteousness in your column because you could be completely empty of righteousness in God's column there's actually a very interesting passage in 1st Timothy chapter 1 
verses 8 through 11, Paul writes to Timothy and he says this. Just listen to this in light of what we have just been going over. But But we know that the law is good if one uses it lawfully. Verse 8, 1 Timothy 1. Verse 9, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous person, but for the lawless and insubordinate, for the ungodly and for sinners, and for the unholy and profane, for murderers of fathers and murderers of mothers, for manslayers, for fornicators, for sodomites, for kidnappers, for liars, for perjurers, and if there is any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine, according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God which was committed to my trust. So if the law is given for the unrighteous and you say that you're righteous because you're under the law, it only proves that you fall under the category in some way of the things that were just mentioned in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. If you're saying, I'm under the law and I keep the rules, then that means that you are one of the sinful people that needed the law in order for them to be able to see that they are unrighteous. And then it defeats the whole purpose to say, hey man, I'm righteous because I'm under the law when the law is given for unrighteous people. I'm righteous because I try to keep all the rules. See, God would not be able to forgive you and me of our sins in an unrighteous way. See, God being righteous, he must have a righteous basis for the forgiveness of our sins. Now, we've all seen those movies, you know, the mob movies, where, you know, the judge is paid off, and so there's a member of the the family, you know, a member of the syndicate or whatever, that, you know, is completely guilty, and the judge just basically lets him off the hook. You know, it's so hard to find justice in Gotham City these days. You know, like, like that kind of thing. And we've all seen those kind of stories portrayed where they paid off the judge. And so a judge who's supposed to be executing justice lets a sinner, a guilty crime committee man, off the hook and doesn't make him pay his, what? Doesn't make him pay his dues. Doesn't make him pay the fine. He doesn't make him pay his debt to society. So you would naturally say that's an unrighteous judge because he lets off the criminal. And you just can't, you just can't seem to, to find somebody that will make the right decision these days. To do what's right. It seems to be a theme in a lot of the TV shows today. But see, God cannot be a righteous God without acting justly. And so you're thinking about this. How in the world can God forgive me of my sins when my sin is deserving of death? How can God still be righteous and let me off the hook? So the basis for God's righteous judgment of sin is found in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in none other than Jesus Christ, God's Son. The righteous judge does not show partiality. Sin is sin. And the sinner must be judged in order for justice and righteousness to be continued. Keeping the rules most of the time doesn't remove the penalty of breaking them some of the time. You understand that? Keeping the rules most of the time doesn't remove the penalty for breaking those same rules some of the time. You know, can you imagine appearing in court, you stand before the judge because, let's just say you failed to pay your parking ticket. 
Man, those things really add up. Parking's so expensive, especially down by the beach as well, isn't it? How weak would your defense be if you stand before the judge and you say, well, you know what? I paid the three tickets before this one, and I didn't even get a ticket yesterday. And he'd be like, what does that have to do with the one that you didn't pay? Well, no, I, I, no, I paid five tickets prior to that one, and you know what? I didn't even get one for the last two weeks now. I've been without a ticket. Even weaker still is our argument or our defense of ourselves before God with this argument of self-righteousness. You stand before the almighty God, the righteous, holy God, and you say, I've kept these rules and I've done a couple of these things and etc. In Galatians 2.16, knowing it says that a man is not justified by the works of the law or by keeping the rules, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Christ Jesus that we might be justified by faith in Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. So I hope again, and I'm not trying to beat a dead horse here, but I want you to picture this in your mind because I believe that this will absolutely revolutionize the way you view your relationship with God. Your righteousness, God's righteousness, completely separate. They do not connect by themselves. And you can top up your righteousness all you want and still be completely empty in God's column. So, if we can't earn our way to heaven, we can't be good enough, we can't keep all the rules, here's some good news for you and for me. God creates this plan, and it's laid out in the Bible, by which sinful man may receive forgiveness of his sin in a righteous way. Remember, you can't just write off sin and be like, hey man, all right, it's okay, because you're not righteous if you're letting people off the hook, because in order for you to maintain justice and righteousness there's a penalty that must be paid so jesus becomes our substitute the penalty for sin is death and jesus takes our place of death and pays our price for our sin so the righteous pays the penalty for the unrighteous jesus righteous you and me unrighteous jesus takes our place Technically, they'll call it substitutionary atonement. Well, they'll talk about how Jesus atones for our sin by taking our position, our place, and allows the wrath of God to be poured out upon him. In 2 Corinthians 5.21, it says, For he made him, Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So God, as the righteous judge, isn't finding reasons to prove that you're right. And there wasn't a technicality in the system that allows you and me to get into heaven. But rather, it means that through faith in Jesus, God treats you as if you had not been a sinner at all. At all. Galatians 3.22, but the scripture is confined all under sin. That the promise by faith in Jesus might be given to those who believe. All have sinned. There is none righteous, no, not one. 
So the Lord justifies us because the penalty for sin, our sin, was paid for. It was judged with Jesus on the cross. And what is even more amazing is that the righteousness given to the believer is not the righteousness of man. It's the righteousness of God. It's the righteousness of God. Not man's righteousness, God's righteousness. So God remains just by judging sin. Laying upon Jesus the sins of us all, the sins of the world, and then Jesus died paying the penalty for sin, which is death. He took our place. And through faith in Jesus, He now we are given the righteousness of God. Not man's two-bit righteousness. Not try to be more you know, uh, moral or, or try to be more ethical. Like we're talking about uh, righteousness that only belongs to God. Given to us through faith in Jesus. And so because of that, we are seen as if we have never sinned at all. We have a hard time dealing with that because we live with the the baggage of sin. We live with the ramifications of bad choices and things that we have to deal with. And we battle back and forth with with dealing with how does God love me? And I don't know if I can keep going forward as a Christian or, you know, I feel like I'm just going to go off on, you know, off off the precipice or whatever, you know, I'm done. Well, we need to understand this morning that it's not by anything that you have done that makes you righteous in the sight of God. It's what God did for us. It's what God did for us. It's the righteousness of God. And that's why we're looking at verse 17 so intently this morning because in the gospel of Jesus Christ, God's righteousness is revealed. It's revealed. So no longer are we on a separate track, but through faith in Jesus, we have merged into God's righteousness. No longer under the place of our own righteousness, that even if you could top it off to 100%, you'd still be under the place of God's wrath. But now you have been moved positionally. You, through faith in Jesus, have been able to participate in what is impossible for you to do, for us to do in our own strength. So this now becomes the basis for our lives as Christians. No longer is the righteousness of God apart from us as the hopeful receiver, but now is part of who we are as the believer. Remember, point number one was the righteousness of God apart from the receiver means it's completely separate from anybody who would ever receive it. And point number two is the righteousness of God applied to the believer. So the righteousness of God has been revealed. What had been covered up and veiled now lays open the very thing that many had pondered and wondered how it could even be so how could a righteous God remove sin there must be a price paid and Jesus even made mention of this in Matthew 13 17 he said for assuredly I say to you that many prophets and righteous men desired to see what you see and did not see it and to hear what you hear and did not hear it it's through Jesus that the righteousness of God is revealed It's through Jesus that the righteousness of God is applied to you, not man's righteousness, not anything that has to do with the works of keeping the rules, but it's something that is only available through faith. And so when you sit here this morning and you think about the wrong things that you've done, 
Because I felt like this was something that was very, very on my, very, very pressing on my heart when you think, there's nothing that I can do to earn God's righteousness. There is nothing that I can do to top up my meter of righteousness that actually counts in God's economy. There's nothing that I can do but have faith and believe that God sees me as righteous and even the sins and the terrible things that I've done removed and cleansed as if I had never sinned at all. God's righteousness given to me through faith in Jesus. That is the gospel. It's the righteousness of God apart from human effort or ingenuity. And then God remains righteous in all of his way through his method of justifying ungodly sinners as Jesus became the sinless substitute to satisfy the need for justice. Furthermore, the righteousness of God is revealed in how God provides a way for those not righteous in themselves, you and me, to be viewed in perfect standing before God. Because when we stand before God, he sees the righteousness of Christ that covers us because we have faith in him. And even as Jesus was without sin and perfect in all of his ways, our position before the Lord is viewed, our standing before God is as if we have not sinned, forgiven and cleansed from all our own, I would even say, the Bible says unrighteousness, but even forgiven and cleansed from all our own self-righteousness as God gives us his righteousness. God sees us in the perfection of Jesus because of our faith in him. And as we conclude, verse 16 again, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God to salvation for everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek For in this gospel of Christ, for in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith as it is written, the just shall live by faith. The just, those made righteous with God's righteousness. The just shall live by faith. Your works, my works, can never pile up high enough to reach God. So it doesn't say that the just shall live by works. It's by faith that we live, that we breathe, and that we're not lifeless, and that we're not dead in our sins. And so this morning, if you've been battling with guilt and condemnation for things that you have done, confess it to the Lord and let the Lord cover that with His righteousness. In our own minds, we like to, I need to overcompensate for this sin. You know, I was driving 80 miles an hour last week, and so I'm going to drive 40 this week so I can kind of split the difference on that. It doesn't work that way. We need to be in a place where we recognize it's not our righteousness, it's God's righteousness. Through faith in Jesus, so that man over here and God over here, both mutually exclusive because of holiness and righteousness of God and our sin and depravity of man, are met through faith in Jesus where we're cleansed, where we're washed, where we're made righteous with God's righteousness. Isn't that an amazing thing? Isn't that so amazing? So amazing. Absolutely has rocked my world. And I absolutely am just in love with what God is doing and, and what his plan has just meant for us who believe in Jesus. It's God's righteousness not our own. You can't earn it. You can't be good enough. 
And that's how the gospel comes in at that point and says, you're right, you can't earn it, you're not good enough. And it's not even, it's two separate things. Like you can't even, you know, transfer those over. It's God's righteousness given to you through faith in Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your word, and we thank you for your faithfulness, and we thank you, God, that we are able to come and experience, Lord, personally, what it means to have faith in you, and that it's your righteousness, not ours. Sometimes it's hard for us to accept that we don't get to earn it, or we don't get to make up for it, that we actually have to just receive it by faith. And so, Lord, I ask that you would rebuke the enemy in the name of Jesus from sending those condemning thoughts to your sons and your daughters today. Lord, I pray that they would see that through faith in Jesus and through confession of sin, Lord, that they are forgiven and cleansed from all unrighteousness. That it's your righteousness that covers them. And Lord, I pray that you would spur us on to good works and holy living because of your spirit working in us and your righteousness covering us. Lord, I pray, God, that all those feelings, Lord, that we've been dealing with, God, that you would cover us and cleanse us. And Lord, that we would see, wow, Lord, it's you, not me. It's your righteousness. Not my righteousness, it's God's righteousness. And it's through faith in Jesus. So, Lord, we have to believe that. And that's why it says, Lord, in your word, that the just shall live by faith. For those of us that have been justified, just as if I'd never sinned, Lord, we live by faith, believing, God, that you've cleansed us and that you are with us. And, Lord, we ask that you please help us. Help us, Lord, to walk worthy of that calling. And Lord, may we rejoice today over your son that was slain on that cross that we might become the righteousness of God. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Give us a greater understanding. Give us a greater desire for your word. And Lord, help us to be those men and women that you've created us to be. And Lord, we ask these things in Jesus' name. And we all say, amen.